Welcome, everybody. We are kicking off this brand new series that we're calling Questioning Jesus, and we're going to be taking a fresh look at how Jesus tries to impact our lives. Let me kind of give you a, a little bit of background as to how I came up with this series. Earlier this year, I stumbled upon an article in the New York Times called Why Jesus Never Stopped Asking Questions, and I saw that title, and I go, you got me. I just, this, I pulled me right in. Now, it says December 23rd here. And so this was a Christmas article. What the author was doing was focusing on Jesus's methods of teaching. And of course, he talked about parables. We talk about parables a lot here in this church. If you don't know what a parable is, a parable is a fictional story, a fake story that Jesus would create to teach us real truths. And that was one of the primary methods that Jesus would use to teach us. But what this author pointed out, and when he did it, I saw it immediately, but I never really thought about it before. What this author showed is that beyond parables, Jesus loved to ask questions to teach us. And he gave a statistic that I was unaware of, but it, but it floored me. When you go back and read the Bible, particularly the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see that Jesus asked a grand total of 307 questions. In fact, Jesus' life was bookended by questions. His very first speaking line in the Bible is when he was a teenager, and he said to his parents, why are you looking for me? Right? Of course, you will find me in my father's house. And his life ended by him asking a question to God when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so over the course of his life, but primarily in those three years of active ministry, Jesus asked 307 questions. Furthermore, Jesus was asked 183 questions. But wait till you see this. This next thing shocked me. Out of the 183 questions asked of Jesus, he answered fewer than 10. Some theologians argue he actually only answered three questions. I was blown away. I saw this breakdown and I go, all right, we got we to gotta dig into this there's something going on here that we need to explore and find out because Jesus clearly has all of the answers. He's God. And yet, based on this breakdown, clearly he believes that we can actually learn more from him based on the questions that he asks rather than the answers that he's giving. And so for the next four weeks, I just want to take a look at four questions, right? I'm not interested in doing a 307-week sermon series. I don't think we can have, just like, oh, nobody's interested in that. So we'll do four weeks. We'll just pick like four questions and we'll kind of go from there. Maybe we'll do 307. I don't know. So today he is going to ask a question that honestly almost seems ignorant at first glance. Like when you're going to hear it and you're going to see the context of it, it almost seems like an insensitive question, almost naive. But as we begin to peel back the layers of this question, you will see the brilliance of what he is asking. Today, Jesus is going to ask one man, do you want to get well? Now, as we hear this story unfold, and as we kind of listen to you know, the, the few things that I've got for you, I want to challenge each and every single one of you to filter all of this through the lens of any ongoing problem that you might be dealing with. Some long-term I don't mean like some short-term problem that's going to get solved next week. I'm talking some ongoing issue that you've been dealing with. Maybe it's a medical issue, and it's just been lingering in your life. 
Maybe you struggle with depression. Maybe you struggle with anxiety. Maybe, maybe you are struggling with overspending or overcommitting. Maybe you are wrestling with addiction with something. Maybe for you, it's a long-term marital problem or a relationship issue with a parent or a sibling. Whatever your problem is, I want you to view today through the lens of that particular problem. And my prayer all week and my prayer for today is that because of Jesus, we can find some healing in those areas. So the story opens up in John chapter 5. We're going to begin just in verse 1. We read this. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. So archaeologists have subsequently uncovered this pool. They have found it. I've got a picture for you. This is, this is the pool. Um, so you're looking at what I'm looking at. So there's, there's the water down there. These are steps. And I assume that these are the five covered porches, I guess, that John is speaking about. Now in verse 3, he says that crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on its porches. So they are laying all around this pool, presumably on those steps and under those porches. Why? Why are these sick people with all these issues laying around this particular pool? This is very interesting. The answer to that question is actually in the very next verse, verse 4. But if you go looking for verse 4 in your Bible, you're not going to find it. There's all kinds of theological speculation as to why verse 4 is, is not there. One particular article, you know, who took verse 4 out of my Bible, <laughs> very straightforward, explains that verse 4 is not original to the New Testament. That when you look at some of the oldest and best Greek manuscripts from back when it was written, they don't have verse 4. And when they do find verse 4 in some of those very early manuscripts, there's almost like an asterisk next to it where those scribes are letting future scribes know, hey, just so you know, John didn't put this in here. He, he left this out for a particular reason. And scholars believe the reason that John left verse 4 out of the Bible is because he didn't want to perpetuate the superstition that surrounds this pool. So I've got verse 4 for you. Here's what you're not going to find in your Bible. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. And the first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. Okay? Now, people in Jerusalem at this time clearly believed that this particular pool, and you saw the picture, had supernatural curative properties whereby when an angel stirred up the water, the first person in was the first person to get healed. Archaeologists, having now found this pool, have discovered that this pool was filled by natural spring water, and sometimes the earth just releases more water, which causes that movement that they attributed to angels. So anyway, there are potentially hundreds of people dealing with all kinds of issues lying around this water, hoping to get in and hoping to be healed. John lets us know that one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. 30, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be sick for 38 years. My wife has now been sick for more than three weeks. It's not COVID. And I said to her, I'm not sure how much longer I can handle this. <laughs> With the sniffling, and she goes, I'm sorry my cold has been so hard on you. <laughs> 38 
cross I must bear. 38 years. Other versions say that he was an, he was an invalid, paralyzed. This man struggled for 38 years. That could be his whole life. We don't know how old he is. Now watch what happens next. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, let's pause. Let's make sure we don't miss this. Jesus walks into Jerusalem, walks through the sheet gate, walks over to the pool, steps over potentially hundreds of people, walks up to this particular man and knew his story. He knew he'd been sick for 38 years. Now, I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what your ongoing long-term problem is, but this right here lets us know that Jesus knows our situation. Without even being told, Jesus knows what's going on in our life. We see this all throughout Scripture, where Jesus just knows intimate details of people's lives. He, he knows our thoughts. He knows our concerns. He is aware of our fears, every ache that we feel, every pain, every doubt, every diagnosis is known by Jesus. He knows you through and through. And he looks at you with love and compassion. And for 38 years, I bet, that man wondered, does God even know? Is he even aware of my situation? How many of you right now who have been struggling for a long time have wondered that exact same thing? Is God even aware of what I'm going through? Well, Scripture answers with a resounding Jesus knows exactly what you're going through, and Jesus knows exactly what you need, but look at the question that he asks to this man. Do you want to get well? The question of the day. Do you want to get well? Now, let's be honest. That looks like a dumb question. It looks like an insulting question. Not clearly this man wants to get well, right? Well, clearly Jesus knows something. And so he asked this man, do you want to get well? Now look at the guy's response. Do you want to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said. For I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Hearing this, Jesus says, stand up. Pick up your mat. For 38 years, this man has been unable to walk. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed, and he rolled his sleeping mat, and he began walking. For 38 years, this man suffered, and one moment in the presence of Jesus Christ changed everything. When I look at this very short story, and when I look at our story, I just see a number of challenges that we deal with when it comes to these long-term problems that just sort of persist in life. The first thing I see is that the longer that a problem persists, the more discouraged you become, right? You got this issue that just won't go away. And maybe you prayed about it, uh, but nothing really happened, and so you just stopped praying about it. Maybe you bought a book about it. Maybe you tried a couple of remedies, but nothing. And so you just get super discouraged. You get depressed. You've, 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 you've given up on your situation. There's no hope of changing it, you would say. It is what it is, right? It is what it is. And you resign yourself to it. 
Additionally, I've seen that the longer the problems persist, the more excuses you make. Because if you can blame somebody else, or if you can blame something else, you're going to feel better, at least temporarily. It's what this guy did. Take a look. He says, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Now, I want to be sensitive to his situation. He's got a real problem. But he still has excuses rationalizing why he's living this way. No one will help me. Someone else always gets help first. We're no different. So here's a question you're going to hate. What excuses are you leaning on to justify living in your problems? Now, I know this stings as soon as I say this, but come on. This is why we're here. What's your excuse? Well, I grew up in a dysfunctional family. Okay? I, I've been overlooked, uh, underappreciated, misunderstood. Okay. You know, I can't get a good job. I don't have a degree. I went to therapy one time, did nothing. <laughs> I tried church, went three weeks in a row, nothing. Okay, look, the longer a problem persists, the more excuses that we make. The last thing is this, the longer a problem persists, the more you tend to compensate for it. I'm just going to be honest with you. Some of you right now are excelling in compensating for an issue in your life. For example, and I don't know who I'm talking to. I'm just making these things up during the week. Some of you might be highly functioning alcoholics. And you know it's true. I mean, yeah, it puts a stress on your marriage. Yeah, it's a challenge for your children. But professionally, you're knocking it out of the park. You are highly functioning. You're killing it. Your coworkers have no idea you're a drinker. I mean, even if they did, they would turn a blind eye because you figured out how to manage it, how to compensate for it, even though you have a serious problem. Some of you might be living in a lifeless marriage. It's, you've, just, you've just learned how to exist in that relationship. I mean, you don't like it, but you accept it. It is what it is. There it is. It is what it is. There's no intimacy. There's no spiritual connection. It's honestly more of a business relationship at this point. We're going to stay together for the kids. We don't like it, but we know how to manage it. Some of you might be trying to survive with depression or anxiety. You're not living. You're surviving. And maybe nobody even knows. And you don't get a moment's peace. And it's affecting your job, and it's affecting your relationships. You're not the person you used to be, but you found a way to just white-knuckle it through the day, only to collapse into your bed at night. Or lastly, and this one is huge in South Florida, maybe some of you have found a way to compensate for your overspending. People look at your life, and they look at your social media, and they think, wow, you got it going on. Little do they know you are living paycheck to paycheck with debt up to your eyeballs. And somehow you've mastered how to max out that credit card, then shift it to that credit card, and leverage this to pay that. You have learned to compensate for a problem. 
Whatever the issue is in your life, the reality is this. You cannot change what you are willing to tolerate. And this word tolerate is so key because in every single one of these examples, I'm sure every single one of these folks know they need help. I mean, come on, you know you need help with your drinking. You know you need some help with your marriage. You know you need help with your finances, but as long as you are willing to tolerate the problem, to give it space, to compensate for it, to make excuses for it, you're not going to be able to change it. Which is precisely why Jesus asked this man, do you want to be made well? Why would he ask that? Because sometimes people don't want help. Sometimes people just want to be left alone in their problems. Some people don't want to be helped out of their weaknesses. Sometimes people actually find what psychologists would call a secondary gain from their weaknesses. They like the attention it gives them, as others see them with their weaknesses and their struggles. This is precisely why Jesus' question just cuts to the core. Because he knows you cannot help someone who does not want to be helped. Jesus knows it doesn't matter if someone needs help. They got to want the help. They got to reach a place in their lives where they won't tolerate it or compensate it or make excuses for it any longer. And that man, just like so many of us, has become what I'll call a, a, just a prisoner to the familiar. You don't understand. It's, it's been 38 years. I mean, I've tried everything. I, I, I don't like it, but I've learned to manage. You don't understand, I'm, I'm a below average student. I've known this in second grade. It just, it, it's just how I think. Our family's always struggled with money. My folks did, I did, I'm sure my kids did. You don't understand. I've tried to break the addiction. I just, I just can't. The bottom line is this. Until your desire to be healed becomes bigger than your disability, shall we say, you will not find healing. And I just firmly believe that God today would ask you, do you really want to be made well? Because some of you are compensating and making excuses and you're discouraged, but you are just simply used to living where you are. You're just a prisoner to the familiar. And God is saying, come on, come on. Do you really want to be made well? Do you really want to be out of debt? I mean, you say you do, but your life says otherwise. Do you really want to overcome addiction? Do you really want to find healing in your marriage? Because I can't help someone who just needs help. I can only help someone who wants my help. And so Jesus looks at this man and says, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed, and he rolled the sleeping mat up, and he began walking. I love that it says instantly, at once. 38 years, this man suffered, and Jesus speaks, and his cells are repaired. That's the power of our God. Jesus speaks, and demons are vanquished. He speaks, and storms are silenced. He speaks, 
and the world came into existence. Let me just say a few things about this supernatural healing, because I think there's a couple of things that we can learn from this. The first thing, and I actually think we missed this, I did it first, is that this man never asked Jesus to heal him. Did you pick up on that? I think this speaks to the compassion and the generosity of our God. See, when you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, when you give your life to Jesus and ask him to be your Lord and Savior, he will work in your life in ways that you never expected or even asked him to. He will bring healing into areas of your life that you didn't even know need healing. He will change your thought patterns. He will bring forgiveness into your heart. Because he loves you, he will do things for you that you never asked and never expected. Second thing I noticed is that this man actually did nothing to earn his healing. Jesus walked over to him. It was freely offered to him. Jesus did not heal this man because this man was good. Jesus healed this man because Jesus is good. That's his grace. You can't earn it. He freely gives us these blessings because of his goodness, because of his grace, and for his glory. And lastly, and I think this is just going to be so important for someone today, this man's healing did not come in the form he expected. For 38 years, he thought, if I can just get into that water, you know, if I could just get into that water, I will be healed. And yet his healing did not come from that water. And maybe someone here today, you've, you've been searching for healing in a, in a particular way. You've been searching for that water. And I'm just here to tell you, maybe your healing's not going to come through that water, but through the living water, Jesus Christ, who is looking to do something in your life in a way that you never expected. Jesus says, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. In other words, I don't want to hear your excuses. I want to see your faith. Don't tell me what you can't do. Don't tell me what you've been unable to do. Don't tell me what others won't do for you. I want to see you stand up. I want to see you pick up that mat, and walk. Now here's the key to all of this, and it's never stated, but it is implied. Jesus will do for you what you cannot do, but he wants you to do what only you can do. Meaning, it's I'll touch you, I will heal you, I will empower you, but you have to stand. I want to see you have the courage. I want to see you have the faith to step away from the familiar. Now, I don't know who you are today or what's been going on in your life, but I just firmly believe that for someone here today, this might be your God moment. And maybe you've been just dancing around it for years now, and you're discouraged, and you're compensating, and you've been making excuses. But today, God is asking you, do you want to be made well? Do you want my divine help? Do you want to overcome that addiction? 
Do you want to be set free from that anger that has destroyed every single relationship you've ever been? Do you want to overcome your inability to trust people? Do you believe that God can heal you? Do you want to be made well? So, what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it is your first time here at DHC, every single week, we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So at the top of the message, I asked you to think about that one ongoing issue in your life. This week, I would challenge you through prayer and self-reflection. I, I just think you need to ask God to clarify for you whether you need help or want help. Where are you here? Because being able to make a distinction is the key to healing. Healing doesn't happen here. Healing happens here. For years, I lived in need of help. Now I joke about my hypochondria, but it's real. And for years, I just quietly suffered, convinced that there's just always something wrong with me. Okay? And I compensated for it. And I would make excuses for it. And finally, a few years ago, I decided, I just want to live like that anymore. Meaning my desire to be healed exceeded my disability. And I invited God into the problem. And he led me to a doctor who, she has been such a blessing. And she, by the grace of God, has helped me to find a lot of healing in that particular area of my life. But I'll just tell you this, none of that happened until I said to God, I want your help. I tried books, podcasts, nothing worked. Not until I said, God, I need your divine power to work in my life in whatever capacity that was. And it wasn't being supernaturally healed in a moment. It was him creating a custom-tailored doctor for me. And at my last physical, I was telling her about some malady that I thought I had. And she looked at me and she goes, and I quote, how do you live in your head? And we all laughed. She won't even let me entertain those kinds of thoughts. That's an answer to prayer. That's an answer to prayer. And so I would just say to any single one of you here today, invite God into your situation. I don't care how long you've been down. With the power of Jesus, you are not out. I don't care how long you have been in bondage to something. With the power and the presence of Jesus Christ in your life, you can be set free. That which you may have given up on long ago is still possible because of Jesus. I don't care if it's been three months, three years, or three decades. A moment in the presence of Christ can change everything. Let me pray for you. Dear Jesus, Lord, I want to thank you that 2,000 years ago you walked through a crowd of people to a man who was suffering and looking in the wrong direction for help. And God, that you asked him a question in a way that changed his life forever. 
And Lord, I know that there are people here today because I was one of them. We're just dealing with things. And, and maybe we've resigned ourselves to it or never thought it could change. But Lord, by your power and your grace, we can be healed. I pray, Lord, that those of us here today who know we need help would have the courage and the strength to move beyond that and to say, I want help. God, I invite you into my situation. In whatever capacity healing looks like, Lord, work in me, God. And God, I pray that perhaps for someone here today, they might be healed instantly. And perhaps others of us, Lord, would be put on a journey towards healing. And when we come out the other side, we can give you glory for working in our lives. God, I just pray this in the powerful, mighty, and matchless name of Jesus Christ.